Well, brothers and sisters, I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 12 as we resume our study of this first gospel. Matthew chapter 12 as we read verses 22 through 32. The apostle writing inspired of the Holy Spirit records thus. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers. Flower fades, but the word of the living God stands forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this passage. Thank you for giving it to us, for announcing the good news. And we pray that in these minutes of exposition and reflection, that you would turn our affections increasingly to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Front and center, as this passage begins, is a demon-possessed man. No one doubts it. No one denies it. A man is a possessed, oppressed by the devil. The devil, the great enemy who prowls around 
like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil, the prince of the power of the air. The devil who has been a liar and a murderer from the beginning has been oppressing this man. The devil has lifted this man up as exhibit A, if you will, a sort of lightning rod picture of what his malicious will and intent is for the race. Long has the world languished under the hand of the devil. Cast down from heaven, Lucifer knows he cannot touch God, nor can he by his machinations disturb the glorious bliss that the triune God experiences in the fellowship of the Trinity. But cast down from heaven in great wrath, the devil despises the God he cannot touch. No wonder then that he takes his fury out on the next best thing, God's image. And so from the beginning, the devil has sought to deceive, destroy, deface, degrade the image of God. And the world existing under his thumb shows everywhere signs of the handiwork of the devil. Sometimes the devil raises up a person of singular depravity, showcasing his wretched, wicked, filthy intent. And so we see such people as the Ted Bundys and Jeffrey Dahmers of the world who are so revilesome that everybody says, eh. Other times he raises up men and institutions to work his wicked ways. And so we see individuals and parties such as Hitler and the Nazis Stalin and the Communist Party. Other times he raises up thinkers to deceive and disseminate his dark, malicious will. And so you have men such as Nietzsche who cover the world in a wicked view of nothingness in which anything goes. Other times you have entire civilizations brought under sway in which they are taught to hate those who are not like them. Other times in the name of celebrating the fans of human autonomy, the devil works his way so that people are taught to celebrate themselves and the autonomy of their own will, so that all bonds of human devotion and relationship must fall aside in pursuit of self 
And so marriages fall apart. Even the lives of the unborn are regarded as meaningless if they interfere with mine. The lives of the sick and infirm and the aged you see discarded through euthanasia policies. Indeed, the handiwork of the devil is to spread absolute chaos, disorder, and confusion to the extent that you can't tell what's up and what's down, what's male and what's female. But it isn't just those big things. The devil is a master of working in the hearts and whispering in the ears. And you see the evidence all around as millions upon millions of your fellow citizens in your area live lives of depression, anxiety, fear, in groups, but always alone. Even as he has brought us together, he's torn us apart. Have you seen his handiwork? In your family? Have you seen his handiwork in your life? The devil wants only to destroy. Ben, I did not come here for that depression. That's what's existing at the beginning of this passage the devil's display of his intent, purpose, will, and goal. And I've got good news for you, brothers and sisters. The good news of this passage spelled out in 1 John 3.8 is that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil to set free the captives, to loose the bonds that we might have life and life abundant. Have you felt the free air on your face? Have you felt the lightness in your chest when your worries and fears and anxieties melt away in the face of his good grace? That's what this passage holds forth for you and for me. This passage lights the way, not just for our own personal lives, but it charts the course that the church has charted for 2,000 years. How so? Well, at the beginning of this passage, as we've seen, there's front and center, a demon-possessed man. No one denies, no one disputes. A man is oppressed of the devil. And Jesus, without even a to-do, cures the man, frees them from this evil spirit. And then it becomes a question of identity. The people are impressed and amazed. Could he be the son of David? A clear messianic statement. 
The Pharisees, following on the heels of what they had just decided recently in the previous section, that they are, they are going to be unequivocally opposed to Jesus. That whatever he may be, he is not one that they want to support. And so they attribute his power, which is undeniable, to the devil. Beelzebul is, is, is another name. But they attribute it to the devil. And this is where Jesus then gives some observations. And he presents three hypotheticals presented by three if statements in verses 26 through 28. In the first case, if I'm casting out demons by the devil, then he's divided against himself and his kingdom cannot stand. So if, if that's the case, then, then this is what it would mean for the devil, that his, he's basically self-destructing. And nobody believes that the devil is so stupid and foolish as to self-destruct. Okay. But then he goes on further. Because Jesus wasn't the only one casting out demons. If, if I'm casting out demons, this is his second if statement, by the power of the devil, then, then who are your sons? And by sons, he doesn't mean literally children. He means, he means their followers, their disciples, their students who in their name did ministry. Who are they casting out demons by? And you can see where he's kind of putting them between a rock and a hard place because are they going to say that it's by the power of the devil too? Of course not. But then he says, verse 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons. And that's the only other alternative, isn't it? Because no mere man can compel and command an evil spirit. So is it by the devil? Or is it by the Spirit of God? And if by the Spirit of God, then what does it mean? And brothers and sisters, underline this clause. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom, first preached by John the Baptist, seconded by Jesus, thirded by the disciples on their own missionary endeavor, was always presented as being at hand, which of course speaks to imminency. It's right here. We're on the precipice of it. But here in chapter 12, verse 28, we learn from Jesus' own mouth that the kingdom of God has come upon us. It's here. And what is this kingdom? Well, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, the apostle writes, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So he's delivered us from one domain and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So 
This verse presents the kingdom as a place. But in Revelation 1, 5 and 6, they're giving praise to, the the apostle is giving praise to, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. And so here in this passage, we see that the kingdom is a people. So riddle me this. What exists in scripture as both a place and a people? The church. Which is why Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 25.2, tells us specifically that the particular visible church is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus announces it here. But this same spirit by whom the Lord Jesus casts out demons and liberates the oppressed, this same spirit is poured out on us at Pentecost. And at that point, the mission of Jesus becomes the mission of his people. And since that time, the church has progressed, has marched, has made its way through this world announcing the arrival in its location. When it gathers, we are a place. And when we gather, we're a people, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for 2,000 years, brothers and sisters, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ has been expanding over the surface of the globe, liberating captives, of the de- from the devil, plundering his kingdom, and oh yes, plundering his kingdom, we do. This is exactly what verse 29 here talks about, and that has charted the church's course for two millennia. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. The devil in this age does not hold determinative sway. He wants you to believe he does, but he does not. He blusters and blows, and he indeed is mighty, but he does not have determinative sway. He has been incapacitated, bound, if you will. And so the church, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ has advanced, and we speak freedom and grace and life to those who are under the dominion of darkness and bring them into the people where they can breathe the free air and learn the values and ethic of the kingdom of God. Where families can be patched together and restored, even as individual lives are. 
where we can learn how to exist as male and female in a rightly ordered way, where from various tribes and tongues we can learn to exist as as the creation we were intended to be. Not awash in despair under the dominion of darkness. So brothers and sisters, this passage brings good news to us that the kingdom has come and we are its benefactors and recipients. But even more, we are its soldiers. Do you ever think of yourself that way? That you exist as a citizen of the kingdom to serve the purposes of the king of the kingdom. And that having been liberated from the bondage, you are now commissioned and sent out to exercise and liberate dominion for others by telling them about Jesus, drawing them, compelling them to come. Do this in your home, with your children. Do it with your spouse. Do it with your extended family. Do it at your places of employment. Tell others of the greatness of the king. And how can we do that here? I look around and our church has, has grown I mean, this is, a, this is a long weekend, and we have a nice crowd here. If this was a normal week, we would probably almost have people standing. And that's glorious. But I look around. I did a search of the zip codes around our church, and it's astonishing. Conroe, which is just stones throw away. We have like... 10 families that live in the Conroe area. From 2010 to 2020, it's it's more than doubled in size. It's pushing 100,000 people. Spring, Klein, the population's soaring. Tomball, it's pushing all the way out to Waller. Go out 99. It's, It's like nonstop subdivision now and and all the way what is it to 59 and and then you head north and and you know what between here and Lufkin and all we're almost the lone reformed voice a population in Conroe doubling in 10 years and, and I keep hearing from you, visitors who come into our church, and, and you're just so, you're so sad after a search that, that, that so many of the churches in our area aren't preaching the gospel. They're just not. And I sometimes don't believe you, and so I go on and I listen, and I go, my goodness, they're not. It's not it doesn't even hardly count as a Bible talk. No wonder they're languishing. And we have the the 
standards of our faith, which are the most sublimely written human synthesis exposition of Scripture known to man. How can we not take this glorious word that we have received and take it to those around us in our backyards? People shouldn't have to drive here from Conroe. They shouldn't have to drive here from Magnolia. Proximity matters. So I challenge you, in the spirit of 2,000 years of the kingdom pillaging and plundering the dominion of the devil, let's see what we can do about that, about taking the good news we've received and planting more of what is so desperately needed, gospel preaching outposts of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for sending your son and Jesus for announcing the arrival of the kingdom and for pouring out on us the spirit. Thank you for this church and for every man, woman, boy, and girl here and for the work you're doing in their lives. And we pray for our area. We pray that you would raise up gospel-preaching outposts of the kingdom of God that take seriously the whole counsel of your word. And we ask that by your grace and permission that we would be able to be a part. Be with us now and always. For Christ's sake we pray this. Amen.